0: This evening's reading is taken from Revelation 3 and in the Pew's Bibles is on page 1236 to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Sue. Good
1: evening, everyone. Um, That video was to whet your appetite for chapters 4 to 21. So um, look forward to to cracking on with them at a a later date. Um, But right now, let's keep our Bibles open at uh, Revelation chapter 3. Let me pray for us as we as we begin. Um, God, God our Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for just how amazing it is that that you speak to us through it. Um, We pray, Father, that you will help us to see um, Jesus more clearly. Um, Would you uh, come by your Spirit and lead us in the way of Christ? Tonight, we pray. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you can remember your school reports and what they were like. Did did you like getting school reports? Probably most of us were were a little bit in trepidation of school reports, Uh, um, whether they were good or or, or bad. Some teachers were nice. Some teachers were pretty uh, straight with us, weren't they? Um, I don't know what your school reports... Maybe you burnt them all. Um, (laughs) School reports could be... um, could be worrying, couldn't they? Well, there's something about, um, these letters, isn't there? A, a, a bit of a school report in, in them, in a way. Um, Jesus is, is kind of writing reports in these letters to the churches. Um, these seven churches representing all churches. And, uh, and we've reached the very last, um, church of Laodicea tonight. And we can imagine them gathering together, can't you? Oh, we, our letter has arrived. And we're gathering together There's no sign of major heresy. There's no sort of salacious um, news that's going to hit the, uh, the the scandal headlines. And so they're probably eager thinking, you know, well, maybe we'll get an A. Maybe we'll get an A minus. We'll just, you know, settle for a B. And, uh, you, and what do they get? They get Jesus saying, you make me sick. It's quite a shock, isn't it, really, when we read this letter. You make me sit. I want to spit you out. Uh, really strong words here in this, this letter to Laodicea. In verse 14, though, Jesus says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I, I love you. So that's why I'm doing it. Um, so it's not a, it is a rebuke, but it's not a rejection, isn't it? It, it, it is... Discipline, but it's not divorce. Um, and like any good teacher, actually, he's pointing out, um, things that need to change because he loves us, loves us deeply. Now, there's, there's two major parts to this rebuke that comes. There's a, there's, um, uh, there's a rebuke and then there's a, a remedy to that. And there's two parts to the rebuke. And the first of those is, for being lukewarm. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. Now, Laodicea, in that part of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, was part of three cities that were grouped quite close together. There was Laodicea, but there was also um, another city called Heropolis, which was about six miles away, And it was known for its hot springs. And you went there and they were very pleasant and they were, they had supposed healing properties. Uh, And that was Heropolis. And then there was Colossi, which was just about 10 miles away um, from uh, Laodicea. And that was altogether different. That had running water, uh, a running stream through it, but it was cold water, and it was refreshing and revitalizing in a different way. Uh, and Laodicea, the third city, had no natural water of its own. It had to be piped down through a series of, of pipes and um, tunnels. And by the time it got to Laodicea, it was stagnant and tepid. And um, the rock formations there meant that it was also made of calcium carbonate. It had it had an emetic Property to it, which is basically makes you sick. That's what it does, and, and emmet. Uh, so it caused vomiting, and, and visitors would would literally, when they went there, they would spit it out. So you can kind of see the image that Jesus is drawing on. He's saying to this church, "You're actually just like your water." Um, now we might think he he's saying, we might be tempted to think as we read this that, that Jesus is saying it's better to be a non-Christian than to be lukewarm. Have you thought that? Is that? But that doesn't seem to be what he's saying because that would fly, wouldn't it, in the face of everything we know about the Bible and about Jesus. Um, nowhere does Jesus say you're better off being a non-Christian. So that can't be what he, he's trying to say here. So I think what, what we're meant to, to see it as is as both hot and cold, as actually worth something, aren't they? Something useful, something refreshing, something revitalizing, something soothing and or something healing. Um, and so this picture really is about standing for both both real Christianity, as it were, real zeal and fervent, useful following of the Lord Jesus. And he's, Jesus is coming along saying, well, actually, you're not, you're not one, one or the either. You're not revitalizing or you're not soothing and healing. You're, you're just kind of, ugh. Um, there's a story, you might have heard me say this, um, before, um, William Sangster, Methodist minister in London, centuries ago, was interviewing a minister for, um, a post. And this minister came along and says, I'm, I'm, "I'm nothing particularly special about me. I'm not going to set the Thames on fire," is what he said to him. And um, uh, Sankster looked at him and said, "This," he said, "We're not looking for someone who can set the Thames on fire. We're looking for someone that, when we drop them in the Thames, sizzles." <laughs> That's what he, we're looking for. Are you on fire for? For Jesus, as it were, are you are you hot for him? Are you refreshing for him? You see, what what is that sense of fervorness and zeal for the Lord Jesus? Uh, Christians, uh, you see, Christian fervour and zeal, join delight in the Lord. That's what uh, being a follower of Jesus is is meant to be all about. And sometimes I think you know we can go through times when we feel that we are more fervent and zealous for the Lord than others. And maybe you can think of a time when you were more hot or cold, um, and you can look back, but sometimes we find that we lose sight of our fervor and the zeal that we once had when we were lost in wonder, love, and praise of the Lord Jesus, and we just enjoyed reading our Bible, just in, delighted in spending time in prayer when we were... We were revitalized and refreshed and healed by, by Jesus. And sometimes we can get, we can all get into that place of just being the lukewarm. I'm sure we've all been there at times. I know I have. Um, when we just sort of seem to change the metaphor a bit, we just sort of lose our focus. And I was thinking about the focus we lose our sense of zeal for the Lord Jesus and keep gazing on him and keep looking towards him. And it reminded me of, um, watching the ice skaters in the, in the Olympics recently. You know, when you, you see them spinning round, you know how they stop themselves from falling over and becoming disorientated it's because they fix their eyes on, on a point in the middle distance that they, when they're spinning round, they, they always look for the same point. And I just thought that's just such a brilliant picture, isn't it, of of what we need to keep doing when we're spinning around, everything going on. We just keep our focus on the Lord Jesus prevents us from going out of control and and falling over. It can happen to individuals. It can also happen to churches as well can happen to us if we lose our focus, lose our focus on Jesus and what he's called us to do and be in the Great Commission, bypassing Jesus and we start to look at ourselves, look at around about us and what's going on and everything and in the world and we lose our focus, we can so easily fall. And so we need to hear this rebuke because Jesus loves us and he wants us to have that zeal and passion and heart for him just to be lost in wonder love and praise of him so that that's the first part of the rebuke but there's there's more to this rebuke and the second part comes in being self-satisfied verse 17 you might look at it with me you say i am rich i've acquired wealth and do not realize that you are wretched pitiful poor blind and naked you say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth. So the other thing about Laodicea is it's incredibly, it was an incredibly wealthy place. It was actually the banking centre, one of the banking centres for the Roman Empire, a financial city. Even in AD 60, there was a massive earthquake. Lots of things got ruined. And they rejected a grant from Rome to help them rebuild. They said, oh no, no, we don't need it. Because we've got all the money anyway. We don't need any help. And uh, there was one person who built who paid for a, a whole stadium of on his own off his own back. It sounds like an oligarch, doesn't it? <laughs> so, but that's what they they were really known for their wealth. Um they were also a medical center. This is this connection with the salve. Um, they were a medical center because they specialized in eye treatments. Uh, And they had this special eye salve that had supposed um, healing properties for sight. And finally, the other thing about this city was that it was a textile centre. They had a special, they had bred some animals. I think they were sheep that that the wool gave rise to a beautiful, glossy, black um, clothing. So they had all this going on. They were very self-sufficient. They had everything. They had wealth, health, and fashion. And uh, they didn't need anything from Rome. They were self-sufficient, materialistic, self-satisfied, and that has seeped into the church, and that had become really dangerous. How easy is that for us here in Blackheath? I think it's a real danger, isn't it, for us to be in that same place, um, to have wealth, health. And some of us are more fashionable than others, <laughs> maybe. I didn't, that was meant to be a joke, but none of you kind of... Uh, that just really dived, didn't it? But. <laughs> Wealth, health, fashion, everything at our disposal. But it's true, isn't it? The more we have, the less we feel the need for help from anyone... And especially God, uh, and yet we desperately need help from the Lord Jesus. Uh, and are we not in danger of becoming self-satisfied? Um, I know that in my own life, maybe you know that in yours. And prayer becomes, as we will see, prayer becomes that real. Um, it says a lot, doesn't it, about where we are, sign of how much we really do feel that the need for the Lord Jesus. Um, and a dependence on him i think I, I think we need that reviving of within us not only individually but as a church we need to be revived in that way so that we're not self-sufficient that we see it verse 17 says but you do not realize you are wretched pitiful poor blind and naked you see, we're so easily deluded, aren't we? We're so easily blinded by all that stuff that we have. Um, real spiritual wealth, um, and it keeps us, uh, it, it keeps us from really seeing what the, the spiritual reality of things. Uh, outwardly, you know, we're rich. Outwardly, we're seeing. Outwardly, we're clothed, but actually, inwardly, we're poor inwardly we're blind and naked we don't see so those are kind of summary of the 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 kind of the two rebukes here to laodicea um you know they were half-hearted they were lukewarm and they were self-satisfied and self-sufficient that's that's the rebuke okay but what about the remedy we want to hear about the remedy you want to hear about the remedy i want to hear the remedy we need the remedy (laughs) and that comes in two parts as well I mean, simply put, the remedy is Jesus, but you knew that answer already, didn't you? Um, the first part of the remedy is his wonderful provisions to us, wonderful provisions. Uh, think of a shop, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me. Now imagine that shop, Market Street. Uh, like the ones I remember as a boy used to walk in market towns and hear people shout things like, get your sausages here, four for a pound, all that sort of stuff. Shouting out, buy apples here, um, fresh and green, and you know, that kind of calling out. Uh, and Jesus is, is crying out, buy from me, it says here in verse 18. But we know that it's a market, isn't it? And, and what a market's like, they're, they're crowded with all sorts of stalls and people crying out, trying to get you to, to buy this and that. You know, um, get this, uh, product, get that product, um, we can, you know, give this, money and you can be healed or whatever it might be or just call 0800 and you know we'll sort your life out whatever it might be so the market is crowded isn't it um and that market is often built on that dissatisfaction in us all um so amongst all the noise of the market in our world with all the the messaging saying that they can sort it out and they can heal you we hear the comfort, comforting voice of Jesus. The comforting voice of Jesus saying, buy from me. Jesus wants you to come to his shop, as, you, as it were, to receive his gifts, his provision. Um, provisions that only he can give. Of pure gold, it says here, refined in fire. That's spiritual wealth, isn't it? That's the opposite of material wealth. It reminds me of when Jesus says in in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven. He comes along and says, buy from me white clothes to wear. Think of those black cloth that they were so proud of and thought they were so fashionable about in Laodicea. That won't make you look good on the inside. You need God to give you his pure white clothes it's a spiritual thing isn't it so you can be cleansed and made beautiful before me through the blood of Jesus fit for the presence of God come by from me and I'll give you salve to put on your eyes so that you can see so you can see spiritually so you can see and discern the world around you so that you can focus on me so you can see properly so these wonderful provisions that that Jesus is talking about are available to us, and the shop to buy from—that's the shop we want to go to, isn't it? Um, all that we want: purity, forgiveness, love, spiritually seeing and hearing from God—all available. Buy, but how do we buy? Don't you think that in a way it just seems like an odd thing to say? How do we buy? Well, it's been paid for us up front, hasn't it? It reminds me of um, Isaiah 55. Always go and have a look at that afterwards. Isaiah 55, verse 1, talks about this. It says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat, the prophet says, Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. But it needs to be bought. It seems, sounds strange, doesn't it? But you see, it's alluding to the fact that it, it has already been paid. It has been bought for us. It has to be paid for. And it was paid through the cross for our, for our sin. And all that is available to us. All that we need has been opened up to us. Every spiritual Every spiritual blessing is Ephesians 1, 3, I think it says. Every spiritual blessing is available to us. All we need is to know we are in need. All we need is to know we're in need. It requires humility to come before him just with open hands to say, thank you, I receive it, Lord Jesus. Because... We want to retreat in being self-sufficient. Say, I've got all these things; I don't actually need it. But we do. We really need it. We go into Jesus's shop, desperate, on, humbly, on our knees before Him, saying, "Please, Lord, help me. Pour out Your provisions to me." He's offering it to us. It's, it's wonderful. But not only is all of His provisions, but There's his presence. That's the second part that he gives. us. his presence. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So he's saying all this because he loves you and me. He loves us. And maybe we've ignored him um, for years. um, Maybe for great stretches of time. So, you see, someone's going to potentially ask us, isn't it, at some point, how's, how's your work, walk with the Lord Jesus going? Has anybody asked you that? It's a good question to ask each other. Not because we're trying to, try to not, uh, you know, score a point. It's actually, it's a really good thing to ask each other. How's your walk with Jesus going? How is he going? And sometimes we just need to be really honest, you know, that we do struggle. Um, will we be honest with him? And with each other, will we be honest enough to be able to say that we're struggling? And so Jesus comes along at that point and he says, I'm very close to you, I'm closer than you think. Verse 20 Here I am, he says. You see, Jesus is not sort of out there, up there at some distant place. He's here. He's right here, now, in our in our midst. Um, he's not at a distance. I really, uh, I I really hate that song by Bette Midler. Some of you will know. God is watching us from a distance. That's rubbish. <laughs> he's not. He's right here this evening. Do you do you know that? Do you realise that? He's here with us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? A wonderful thing. And he says, um, you might have gone astray, but I have not. You may have wandered away, but I have not. I'm here. Here I am. I stand at the door knock." knock. It's, it's actually, it's a wonderful thought, but it's also a sobering thought to think like that, isn't it? Um, that Jesus, that somehow that Jesus could be outside as well as being here, outside of our lives, outside, and that we somehow are keeping him outside. Perhaps being too focused on life and health and wealth and career and fashion, almost unnoticed. Jesus has been left out on the doorstep in the cold, but he's not gone off. He's not disappeared off in a huff saying, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I gave you a chance and that's it. He's not like that at all because he's still there. He's knocking, isn't he? At the door. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will with, with me. Jesus wants to come in and eat with us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to commune with us. He wants to spend time with us. He's not here for a a quick McDonald's fast food relationship. He wants to be in our community. He wants to deepen our trust and affection. That's the offer. You say, some might say, well, how do I hear him knocking? How do I... open the door. If you look at verse 20 again, it says, if anyone hears my voice. You see, Jesus isn't just knocking at the door. He's actually um, calling out, isn't he? He's calling to us. I'm here. I'm right here. Let me in, please. He's calling out. This verse has been used to lead lots of non- uh, believers to Jesus for the very first time, and that's entirely appropriate to be used evangelistically. Um, and maybe you're not here a Christian here this evening, um, but you recognize that Jesus is speaking to you tonight. And he's calling out to you. That he's knocking at your door. Have you heard him? Have you invited him in? Please do that. He wants a real relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants a meal together with you. But also this is written to a church, to a group of Christians who have begun um, their walk with Jesus, but they've drifted, they've become lukewarm, they've become self-satisfied. And Jesus is saying, let me in again. I've not disappeared. I am here. I'm knocking, I'm calling out. Hear my voice. Please open the door. And he's saying that to you and he's saying that to me. Yet he never forces his way in. This is quite interesting because it's in stark contrast with the way that Roman soldiers would often operate at that time. Um, If they were stationed in a city like Laodicea, um, people were often forced to host soldiers. So they would have to pay and also pay them a daily allowance um, to provide dinner for them and clothing for them. But Jesus, you see, doesn't force himself on anyone. He never does that. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and he calls out, but he never forces his way in. He waits to be invited in, and when he's invited in, he feeds us. He serves us. I don't know, maybe there's been a, as we've read these letters, maybe there's been a nagging challenge for you throughout them. I know there's been a challenge to me in them, that somehow that we've, We often like to keep Jesus out. I don't know what ways you might be keeping Jesus at arm's distance and not really letting him in. But Christianity, faith in Jesus, it isn't about following an ethical code or a system of belief or an ideology. First and foremost, it is about relationship. It's about communing with him. It's about sitting down with him. It's about spending time with him, speaking to him, listening to him. I don't know how you're doing with Jesus. Jesus knocks and he calls out to us. The simple challenge to us is to open the door and let him in. Let's pray. Whoever has ears Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Father, for tonight. Thank you for giving us these great remedies, your provisions and your presence. Father, we come to you now and we ask that you would help us as we consider what this means for each of us. We pray that we'd let Jesus in, that he'd come into our lives now, that we would eat with him as we come around the table and remember all that he has provided for us. Help us not to leave him outside. Please lead us, we pray, by your Spirit. Amen.